Bridge Bank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors. Bridge Bank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. Bridge Bank, be bold, venture wisely. Hi there, I'm Randad Fattah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. Holiday shopping stories used to be about Furbies and the latest video game console. But it's the 2020s, the climate is going haywire, and the economy is undergoing a major realignment, so the stories are a little different this year. Open up the Mercury News, and the story about Christmas tree prices is actually about extreme weather events, kinks in the global supply chain, and the pandemic. We'll be talking about the new factors in holiday shopping and what they say about how the U.S. economy is working right now. That's all next, after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. For some Americans at the top of the economic heap, the pandemic has been a boon. Galloping stock market, reduced household spending, and increased government assistance led people to build up $2 trillion worth of savings. That's given retailers hope for record holiday spending. At the same time, the pandemic hit lower-income Americans hard, and the government stimulus that kept many families afloat has dwindled. So that's the complex demand side. But the supply around these holidays these years, this year is also disrupted. From the factories in China, through the whole shipping business and and onward. Because of that constrained supply and ample demand, companies have raised their prices, which when viewed from high altitude, we call inflation. And that's squeezing the very people who were hit hardest by the pandemic. Yet despite all that, most big companies are reporting huge profits, much bigger than in 2019. And this week, the FTC even opened an investigation into how large firms may be benefiting from shortages. That's the macro side, which we're going to get to. But to start today, I wanted to go very specific. We're joined today by Emily Dury to talk about her story in the San Jose Mercury News about Christmas trees. Welcome to the show, Emily. Thanks for having me on. So you had a classic newspaper story assigned to you. Go to the Christmas tree lot and talk to some folks. But the story that you produced was not only that. What did you find when you started talking to people who were there selling trees? Uh, We found that Christmas trees this year are more expensive. Um, That's sort of the the top line. And then uh, we got into a little bit uh, about why um, and found that climate change has has posed problems. Um, So there was uh, flooding in in Canada, which is a major exporter of trees. Um, A lot of our trees come from Oregon, uh, which was hit with a, a heat wave back in the summer that damaged some trees. So, so the supply is an issue. Um, and then we also uh, heard about trucking problems and, um, you know, log jams at ports. And it just sort of spirals from there. But the, the upshot is that trees are a lot more this year. Yeah, I mean, I think I wanted to just dilate for a moment on the, the climate change aspect. I mean, over the summer, I think people probably remember that there was this massive, you know, heat dome over the Pacific Northwest. And that had this sort of knock-on effect all the way down at kind of Christmas time. Then we had these, you know, massive atmospheric river up in British Columbia, which then um, had this effect here. And there were also the fires in California also hit some uh, farms as well, right? Yes, exactly. Uh, there's a type of tree called that silver tip that comes from sort of the high Sierra um, and they were damaged in the, in the fires. And so uh, people who are looking for that type of tree are, are having trouble finding them. And when they are finding them, they're uh, much more expensive than they were last year. Yeah. You know, on the uh, logistics side, is the main problem basically you can't find the truckers to actually bring things down from Oregon to California? That's a that's a huge part of the the problem. Um, 
the tree sellers that I was talking to were saying that trucking was, uh, you know, double what it normally is. Um, mm -hmm. And truckers, it, that's one piece of the problem. But then the other issue is literally finding like the truck chassis. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so, yeah, trucking is a, is a huge issue. Uh, and then I talked to uh, the head of Balsam Hill, which is based in Redwood City, and they sell artificial trees and, and those sort of go all over the, the country. Um, but they are having to pay fines at the, the ports because they can't find the truckers to transport the trees. And, and they obviously don't want to be paying those fines, but but they just can't find uh, can't find truckers. It's funny, when I was first doing work on logistics uh, some years ago, I never thought that so many people would be talking about truck chassis like, ever in my life. <laughs> but it is. It's a, hu it's a huge problem. And it's funny. It's people have known it's a problem for, for a while, but it just um, the the negative impacts hadn't been felt throughout the, the whole economy. Um, you know, I, I guess it kind of comes to this, though. There There are these increased costs for various companies, you know, whether it's the people who run the Christmas tree lot or the people who make the artificial trees that you talk to. But they kind of have a choice, right? They could either eat some of those costs or they can pass them on uh, to to consumers. So what did you hear from the Christmas tree lot operators about sort of that decision making? I think they're they're passing on some of the costs and, and they acknowledge that. Um, I, I think you have some of these small sort of family tree lots that um, you know, they're not making huge profits. And so they're, they're saying they need to pass on some of those costs. I, I also think the reality is families are willing to shell out for Christmas trees. I mean, if you trek out with your your kids and your dog and, and whatever, and you're at the tree lot and you all of a sudden notice that the price is Sorry, up. kids, no Christmas tree. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. It's a tough sell, right. Right. You're not you're not necessarily turning around and packing back into the car. So they, they know they have sort of this, this captive audience and... Um, you know, I'm not I'm not a marketer, but people talk about nostalgia, and I, I think that that that's pretty powerful. So um, the the tree sellers definitely have that on their side. Yeah, for sure. Hey, thank you so much for joining us this morning, Emily Dury, reporter with the Mercury News. Check out her story on why your Christmas trees are more expensive this year. Thanks so much, Emily. Thank you. So today we're talking about inflation and disruption in the global supply chain, how it's affecting the holidays, and what people out there, what you can do so it doesn't spoil your holiday season. Uh, we want to hear from you about a, a couple of different things. First, is this show on right now in your retail shop? We'd love to hear how the holiday season is going for you out there in the retail world. And if you're just a, a holiday shopper, I know not everyone is, but if you are, you know, we were told three months ago that we should start shopping because of supply chain problems. Did you do that? And if you did, you know, do you do you regret it? Do you think it was necessary? And if you're just starting now, are you finding that you're not able to get the things uh, that you want? Give us a call now, 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. If you're a retailer, you're sitting there in your shop right now, give us a call. You can also get in touch, uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, KQED Forum, or you can just kind of email your experience to forum at kqed.org. I want to introduce our other guests uh, for today. We're joined by Michelle Singletary, who's a personal finance columnist at The Washington Post, and she writes the nationally syndicated personal finance column, The Color of Money. Welcome, Michelle. Oh, thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining us. We're also joined by Catherine Russ. I'm going to call her Katie. Uh, she's the associate professor of economics at UC Davis, and from 2015, 2016, she was a senior economist for the Council of Economic Advisors in the Obama administration. Welcome, Dr. Russ. Thank you. Glad to be here. Um, Dr. Russ, I, I want to start with you. You're an economist. When you look at the American economy right now, like what do you see? Like what's what's kind of different from what you might have expected, you know, uh, ten years ago. Well, for a long time, we had what we call slack in the economy, kind of just sort of um, a little bit of sclerotic or not very strong demand. And so central banks were actually having a hard time helping the economy hit their 2% inflation target. And this was not just in the U.S., but worldwide. And now suddenly you see 6.1% inflation compared to a year ago. So things have really changed. Hmm. And like. Is that as a result, you know, in, in my mind, I think of inflation 
um, like when we talk about it in this way, as being about the Federal Reserve. Like that's how people kind of talk about it, right? Like how much money are the central banks kind of pumping into the economy? But it seems like there's emerging ideas that maybe there's other things that should be investigated when we're talking about inflation. Oh, sure. So there's the real side. And when you hit capacity constraints or supply constraints and demand is still increasing, then that pushes up prices. Mm -hmm. And so what you see right now is a really interesting case of inflation. I hate to call it interesting where people are feeling squeezed and so mm -hmm. forth. As an economist, I, you know, we're the dismal science. So, but it is a, an interesting case because what we see is that household disposable income has actually increased more than inflation over the past two years. So we've had these rescue packages, these stimulus packages to help us get through the crisis of the pandemic to help keep the economy going. And so that's really buoying demand in a way that uh, you have this demand led inflation. Now it is intersecting with the supply side and um, your guest, Emily Dury, just described some of the supply side issues as well for Christmas trees. And, and there are supply side issues across various sectors of the economy. Uh, so those are combining. But we have to we have to think of the um, inflation, the shortages is first and foremost really um, driven by changes in our preference for goods over services during the pandemic, mm -hmm. but then also buoyed by the federal stimulus, which is pumping money into uh, everyone's bank accounts, or, or, or was. You're right, it's tapering off now. Yeah. Michelle Singletary, you, you write about personal finance. just want to give you a chance to talk about when, when you're talking with people out there with the supply chain problems, what are the big kind of categories that are really hurting people in their finances? Well, I think, you know, the cost of food, for one, going to the grocery store is much more expensive. Um, people are home more. Uh, and so if you've got a parent, you've got kids, you know that they're they're eating more because they're home more. You're not out and about like you normally would be. Um, if you need a new car or a used car, even just let's focus on used car prices are up tremendously, more than that 6% inflation rate. And so people looking to you know save money on a car are having trouble. And even though the stimulus payments and the child tax payments are there, those are all temporary. And so going into the new year, many people are worried, you know, how am I going to make it now, particularly if you still had income disruption, maybe you or your partner or both of you, and you're still struggling to uh, catch up from uh, job losses that maybe now you're employed, but you had a lot of bills that you couldn't cover while you weren't working. Yeah. It is one of those strange things because this was such a bifurcated recovery, right? I mean, some people really didn't have, didn't lose jobs. Their businesses didn't shut down. And other people, it was just uh, devastating. It was definitely, uh, this pandemic has uh, shown us the haves and have nots. The haves did extremely well. If you had money in the market now, you know, recently this past week or so, um, you know, the market has been down quite a bit. But overall, since the pandemic started, if you had money in the market, you had money in a retirement account, and you were maxing out, you did tremendously well. Your wealth increased exponentially. However, on the other side of that, this pandemic showed how fragile so many people were. Now, they were always fragile, but there were so many other people doing so well and doing okay that we kind of forgot that group of people. And now we realize it was just right in our faces that, hey, this is an America where there are lots of people who are barely getting by. And this pandemic really pushed them over the edge. Yeah. We're talking about how Inflation, disruption in the global supply chain is affecting this holiday season. We're joined by Michelle Singletary, personal finance columnist at The Washington Post, and Catherine Russ, associate professor of economics at UC Davis. And we do want to hear from you. Is this show on in your retail shop? We'd love to hear how the holiday season is going. Give us a call now, 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for more Forum. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about this holiday season, shopping, and what it all says about how our economy is 
working right now. We're joined by Michelle Singletary, personal finance columnist at The Washington Post, and Katie Russ, associate professor of economics at UC Davis. And from 2015 to 2016, she was a senior economist for the Council of Economic Advisors in the Obama administration. And we want to hear from you. You remember a couple months ago, there were all these stories about how you needed to do your holiday shopping earlier because of supply chain disruptions. Did you do that? Uh, or did you not? And how do you feel about that decision now? Give us a call now, 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, KQD Forum. We're doing a lot of stuff on Instagram now. Uh, and you can email your questions or comments to forum at kqed.org. I want to add in Laura from San Carlos into our discussion. Welcome to the show, Laura. Thanks. And I want to preface my comments by just saying I'm really fortunate that I can absorb these increases in costs. Mm-hmm. I definitely shopped early, primarily for the children in my life. And what I found is not only is there a lack of availability of some of the items, but when they are available, I have seen 30% minimum jump in prices. Hmm. And I just got back from the grocery store and just looking at basics, easily a 20 to 25% increase. And so that's why we're really upping our donations to the food banks in our community. But I think this is a really tough time at the holiday time. Yes, and so thank you for letting me comment, and I'll take any additional comments up here. Oh, thank great. you. No, thank you for those are great suggestions. We've definitely been hearing that um, as well. There's some stories on kqd.org about sort of how you can make your holiday donation dollars go uh, as far as possible if you have them. So you can check those out. Um, Dr. Russ, I wanted to go to you on this one first. Which is, you know, we, we know prices are, are rising, and, and there are a lot of reasons for that. But, you know, just this week, the Federal Trade Commission, which has a new head in Lena Khan, launched an investigation into kind of the relationship between big business and, and shortages. And what do we know about that relationship, right? I mean, like, it's not like prices just automatically go up. Somebody has to raise those prices. Um, and, and what do we know about that, like how that happens? So most people have experienced unavailability of items like your caller just mentioned uh, just now. So surveys are showing 60-70% of consumers are noticing some item that they went out to buy uh, is not there and they have to choose a different item or get by. In terms of what we know about market power of big companies, um, so Food presents an interesting example. Your your caller was talking about the basics in her food shopping. The prices have risen 20, 25%. And that is the case across the board if we look at meat. So meat, the prices have risen much faster than the prices of food overall, which have risen 5% or 5.3% over the past year. So we can take a look at that and say, well, you know, the meat packing industry is really dominated by just a few firms uh, that process about 80% of the meat for Mm. the entire country. And so that leads you to start thinking, okay, what role is market power playing? It's not necessarily that companies have gotten greedier. It's just that these increased demand conditions, um, as Michelle Singletary said, is people are buying more food for home. And so they're buying more meat packaged for home. Does that allow uh, uh, producers to, you know, increase their margin somewhat. Right. I mean, it's basically the the idea is that the more concentrated market power uh, big firms have in a particular thing, like you're saying in this sort of packaged meat, then the more power they have to drive up prices, regardless of the supply problems that, that might be behind there, right? I mean, they have some flexibility in setting prices. Yeah, absolutely. On the flip side, uh, they've also had monopsony power in the labor markets, meaning they've had some power over setting wages. Mm -hmm. And so with the labor shortages that we're seeing across the economy, um, that increases workers' bargaining power relative to the firms. So while they have increased power on the pricing side, you're actually seeing workers take back some more of their bargaining power that's been eroded over the last few decades in this tight labor market, which is, yeah. is very interesting. Michelle Singletary, I wanted to go to you. What are you seeing on that side of things, on people able to you know, get better jobs, trade up jobs, or to, in their workplaces, uh, negotiate better, uh, better conditions and, and wages? Are you seeing that, too, in addition to the sort of rising prices out there in the stores? Yeah, it's, it's a mixed bag. The, uh, if you are um, 
don't have a college education or just a high school degree, um, it's harder to negotiate. Um, but people who have more education, more experience are able to uh, get employers to pay them more because it's much more competitive at that level. Um, and, you know, it's it, it's really interesting because my son just graduated and he's been applying all he's still looking for jobs and he's been applying and he's been turned down from a lot of retailers. And I get probably why he's got a math degree and they're thinking this kid isn't going to stay around for very long. So it's very interesting when I hear employers say, oh, we can't find anybody. You know, he would have been working for them for six months. Um, and then he's still looking. He's hobbled together some part time jobs. Um, so really, it depends on the industry, uh, how much your job uh, experience is in demand. But we are also finding that there's something called the great resignation where people are saying, you know what? I'm done. I, you know, I, I, I can't take this anymore. Bad bosses. And so lots of people are retiring early. You know, 55 um, really is early, about 10 years early for the average uh, person, because they're just saying, you know, the pandemic, I was home, I didn't have this long commute. And I'm, I, I think I can get by with the money that I say, because of course, a gr this group of people also had money in the market. And so you, it, it, the, the labor market is just all over the place. People still can't get good living wages. There's some people who can negotiate higher wages. And then there's some people saying, ah, I quit. <laughs> you know, I want to do something else. And those jobs go um, unf unfilled because they can't find people for them. It really does seem, and we're going to bring in Anita from Sacramento in a second here, but it really does seem to me like the labor market right now is so jumbled. Like there are so many mismatches between uh, both geographically where the jobs are, skill sets, and, and many other things. Totally, totally fascinating. Um, Anita from Sacramento, welcome to the show. Thank you. Well, um, I guess I just wanted to be a little bit of a contrarian. I've been hearing about all the 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 lack of things available for Christmas, including my Christmas tree. Well, at least here at my small family um, nursery in Sacramento, I, I paid the exact same for a silver tip this year that I did last year. <laughs> there was less availability, but I was able to find something. I was able to get something for everyone on my Christmas list. Yeah, there's there is a few less things, but you know there's plenty out there. You want a shirt? There's a shirt. Maybe not the exact <laughs> one you were looking for, but there's a shirt. You want toys? They're there. The stores are full. Amazon is full. We're so used to being able to get whatever we want, whenever we want, at the price we want. I think we're a little spoiled. I just personally haven't seen it. I'm not saying that others mm -hmm. have haven't had difficulties, but if we're a little flexible, I, I don't think it's going to be a bad holiday. Yeah. And yet I have to say that is that reflects my experience as well. No, there's no shortage of companies trying to sell me things right now. Um, exactly. What, what, what do you think, Catherine Russ? Do you, do you think that there's just um, that the supply chain problems are sort of there for individual products, but kind of across the board, it's not as if the shelves are empty right now? Yes, I think people really have memories of early in the pandemic when there were some uh, more widespread shortages and more severe shortages, and they're kind of bracing themselves, hungering down for that, um, as though that is happening right now. But that really isn't. It's more sporadic shortages. Sometimes these shortages are hitting critical goods like medical devices. Um, and, and in this case, it's, it's really serious. Um, but in general, they're, they're quite idiosyncratic. They're, they're sporadic. Yeah. You know, and I, I wonder, you know, you've written about that these shortages may actually be sort of um, taking, not letting us see some of the good things that are actually happening in the economy right now. It's true. So, so because the inflation is demand driven um, by and large, uh, the flip side of it is this tightening labor market that we were talking about before. Mm -hmm. And, and Michelle Singletary is absolutely right. You know, some people have not been um, benefiting from this recovery um, as much as we hope. And that's why we really need to keep it running hot. Um, so right now, if we look at wage growth for the lowest earning workers, so the lowest earning quarter of workers, that wage growth is far outpacing wage growth for other workers mm. in the economy. And it has hit its highest level 
since the Great Recession hit. Hmm. So if you know, it's not quite matching inflation. So that's, you know, that's a problem. But it, it makes you wonder if we just let this run a little longer, you know, will we start seeing some of the convergence so that some of the people that have been forgotten may actually, you know, benefit from this expansion? Can, right. can I jump in real oh, quick? Yeah. Sure. So yeah, I think I think Dr. Russ made such a great point that we do need to look at the, the upside. But when we talk about wage growth for the lowest workers, let's remember, we're talking about it, they were coming from a pretty low bottom exactly. too, Thank right? You for that. Yeah. I mean, so that so when you look at percentage growth, yeah, it's great, except it was still pretty low to begin with. And then also a lot of times, you know, they don't get, they might have uh, higher wages, but then they pull back on their hours mm-hmm. or they have higher wages, but they still don't have health care or other benefits, sick leave. So, you know, a lot of businesses like, yeah, we're paying people more, except, yeah, you're taking away other stuff or not, or it wasn't on the table to begin with. Um, you know, when, and especially when it comes to health care, our health care is connected to a good job. You don't have a good job, you don't have good health care or health care at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, uh, Catherine Russell, I mean, I think one of the things this really brings up is, is to to give that context, which was basically stagnant wage growth for the bottom of the economic pyramid, while the top was running away with more and more and more money, right? Absolutely. So I completely agree with Michelle Singletary. I mean, we have, we are still failing workers in in so many ways, but this is the first sign I've seen that we're actually, you know, making some sacrifices in a way to try to. Um, to elevate uh, the conditions for these lowest earning workers. I mean, it's really unusual that you would see the Federal Reserve Bank not start raising interest rates right away if we saw inflation of Mm 6.1%. And when they do that, the slowing of the economy, it immediately affects the lowest earning workers first. So, you know, a lot of people are saying, why is the Fed letting the economy run, run hot? Why are we risking this inflation? And I think the answer Uh, as to why that might be worthwhile is to at least try to encourage this momentum that we we do see for the lowest earning workers, which, as she absolutely rightly said, have been really shortchanged in our economy. Yeah. Let's uh, bring in caller Daniel from San Jose. Welcome to the show. Uh, Hi there. Uh, Yeah, so I was... (laughs) I was over at the Valley Fair Mall the other day and, you know, doing some holiday shopping. And one of the stores had actually installed like this big 3D printer thing. Like, and I, so I, well, I, it was, it was so cool. And I walked in because I was like, I asked the staff, like, why do you have this thing? It's like a kid's art studio. And they're, they were telling me like some of their shipments from, uh, I think it was South Korea were getting delayed and they're using this machine to kind of 3D print toys for kids while they're waiting for their shipments. Um, so I was curious, like, uh, you know, are we seeing kind of a, a resurgence of maybe like onshoring manufacturing or, you know, is this kind of like a, a stopgap phenomenon? I, it was really cool. And I, I wanted to get the want to get the uh, folks perspective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, thank you for that. Daniel. I mean, that, that must have been much faster than my 3D printer, which <laughs> the, the, the sort of at home 3D printers tend to be pretty slow. Um, uh, Dr. Russ. What do you think? Are we seeing, um, you know, in the sort of macro level numbers, kind of a, a return of onshore manufacturing? So we can say that industrial production does not seem, I mean, I know that uh, different manufacturers are suffering because of the shortages, but if we look at industrial production overall, it is, you know, it is bouncing back. It does look resilient. So that may include um, some of these onshoring activities. Um, We've noticed onshoring activities occurring since the Great Recession for a number of different reasons. Um, I, I, I think it's hard um, to know whether firms will will um, make investments um, or whether workers will make investments to retrain and so forth in response to some of these demand shortages, these supply shortages um, and increases in domestic demand, uh, because we don't know how long they will last. And so sometimes there are big upfront costs to changing your technology, um, starting to produce a new product, uh, starting to to train to get a trucking license. And we just don't know how long this, this increase in demand for goods that are right here right now will, will last. Yeah. 
We're talking about the holiday shopping season and how it reflects our current quite strange economic condition here in the United States. We're joined by Catherine Russ, Associate Professor of Economics at UC Davis, and Michelle Singletary, personal finance columnist at The Washington Post, who also writes the nationally syndicated personal finance column, The Color of Money. I've had some great comments come in. Just want to read some of those to you. Stephen writes... The retail store I work at has been hitting uh, some days and beating on some other days our 2019 numbers, while having 10% all the way down to 40% less customer traffic. Our district manager informs us that East Coast districts have been beating their 2019 numbers most of the year, and all of this with way less inventory and staff. I would editorialize that's one of the reasons that uh, large companies are having good profit numbers right now. Um, Brad writes, and there's a few of these, um, want to go go through them. Brad writes, the past week I tried to take advantage of big online sales, but I found many of my desired products were out of stock. It's a blessing in disguise as I'll end up going to my local downtown to complete most of my holiday shopping. Our local retailers can use the support. And you know, Remy, uh, along similar lines, wants to say there is no supply chain problem when it comes to local artists and artisans' work. It's not such a bad thing if you have to forego the anonymously and perhaps problematically made Amazon item. Support our local creatives. Michelle Singletary, is that one of the uh, pieces of advice that you're giving to people who might be squeezed for money is to kind of be be open to substituting from, you know, the big flashy uh, brand name thing to, to a locally made product or, or other thing? Absolutely. So my advice is divided. If you're still struggling or you, you're you not fully funding your retirement account, you don't have that emergency fund, um, then you need to pull back anyway. I know you're thinking about, oh, what's going to happen to the macro economy? Listen, that's not your issue right now. <laughs> Let Dr. Ross worry about that. You need to save your money. However, if you did well and, and you've got all this pent up demand and, and you've covered all those bases, you're saving for retirement, you got to save as your kids got a college fund, all the kind of things like that. You know, I think you do a mix. You buy from big box and local. We need both. There's a balance. It's, life is in general is about balance. And I think one thing we learned is that we need to meet, bring manufacturing back to, the, to our shores. Yes, participate in, you know, global economy, but also local economy. I'm finding this myself. I had a number of things that I wanted to do, you know, get some T-shirts and stuff made. And I went on Etsy and, and, and it was just wonderful to deal with that platform. And I also go to the big stores. So I try to do a mix. I also shop with people who look like me. I'm African-American. I mean, just, just think about how you're using your money and how you can contribute to the economy. And we all will be lifted up if we do that. And I think that's what this pandemic has told us. We can't only rely on goods coming from overseas. We can't only rely on big box stores. Just balance out. And and one last thing, you all, we have got to get off of this train and everything has to be dirt treat. You know, we can't we can't pay people what we've been paying them. And that may mean those of us who can afford it need to not always be trying to look for, you know, a shirt that costs a dollar. That person making that shirt can't live off of that. And so, yeah, you might have to pay $5 or $6 for that shirt. And you ought to be happy about that because that means some other family and somewhere in this country can feed their family and send their kids to college. <laughs> Thank you. That was Michelle Singletary, personal finance columnist at The Washington Post. We're also joined by Katie Russ, associate professor of economics at UC Davis. We're talking about how the holiday shopping season kind of reflects the strange state of the American economy. And we want to hear from you. How's this uh, going for you, either in your retail shop or in your shopping? The number here is 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for more Forum after the break. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about this holiday shopping season, the American economy, rising prices, stocks getting low. We're joined by Michelle Singletary, personal finance columnist at The Washington Post, and Katie Russ, an associate professor of economics at UC Davis. Want to add in Adrienne from Sebastopol into our conversation. Welcome. Hi. Hello. (laughs) Thank you for taking my call. Thanks for joining us. I am such a longtime fan of Michelle Singletary. I'm just excited to be on the phone at the same time that she is. <laughs> and she's featured in my local paper. She's a woman. She's a woman of color. Her point of view is so important, and I read her columns all the time and just really, really learn so much from her. 
Oh, that's so nice, Michelle. That's got to feel good to you. Uh, I'm a grandmother and a mother, and I just want to say I do shop locally mostly and make gifts. And, of course, uh, this is a good time to think about, you know, things not being as important as experiences. And so I love to give to my family opportunities um, or mask opportunities. As an example, I got my sister a pair of binoculars, and that's opened up a whole world to her of animals and birds in the sky and so some gifts can be fun and functional and those are the kind i love to give to my family uh that's so that's so great adrian thank you uh so much michelle you want to you want to say anything just as you know we know you have a big fan on the phone much. I love it. You just made my day. And I I can co-sign on what she just said. In fact, for my sister's birthday, which just happened, I gave her a subscription to like an aqua uh, fitness class where you do a bike in the water. Uh, and I signed her up for that. And so that's exactly what she's talking about. We you know for the holidays, let's, you know, think outside of the box of what else that you could do. Um, if you've got someone in your family who's got a bunch of kids. And I know it sounds like so trite. And we say this all the time, you know, give them, you know, babysitting coupons. But as a parent who had three children, I would have killed if someone had said, let me take your kid for a couple of days. <laughs> so um, I love that idea. Absolutely. Hey, thank you so much. Thank you Adrian. so much. Yeah. Uh, you know, Katie Ross, um, question there around like sort of the experiences versus products. Does this actually show up in economic numbers, this idea that. You know, it seems, I, I think you said earlier, that there's actually been, during the pandemic, because people were stuck at home, they actually couldn't spend money on uh, on services and experiences, and instead were spending more money on kind of just products. Yes, you saw this huge shift in demand toward goods away from services. And now that's starting to converge back. Uh, we still see some, um, some slight depression in the... Um, in expenditures on services compared to what they were before the pandemic, but it is um, it is rising back to trend. Um, and I can just speak, you know, from my own family's uh, point of view, we, we're doing the same thing. We're really thinking after the shock of the pandemic and the, just the the big burdens that it put on our entire society. You know, what's important to us? Uh, what's good for our environment? And and we're th- rethinking how we're doing Christmas. We're focusing on experiences and also we're all going to a flea market to just you know get our stuff there i love a good flea market um we're talking about uh the holiday shopping season how it reflects the american economy and what people are doing about it we're joined by katie russ an associate professor of economics at uc davis and michelle singletary personal finance columnist uh, at the Washington Post. And we do, we've been loving hearing from you and how your shopping habits have or have not changed this season. Uh, and we we also do also want to hear from some retail shops. We'd love to hear how the holiday season's going for you. Number's 866-733-6786, or you can get in touch, uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or the email address is forum at kqed.org. And we do have a retail shop on the line. Tara from San Francisco, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. Yeah, tell us what it's been like for you to own a toy store uh, at this particular holiday shopping season. Um, well, we've been planning really far in advance, knowing that manufacturing and shipping delays were going to happen. So, you know, back in June, um, started thinking about the holidays and um, also being short-staffed, like everyone, that's been a challenge. But um, despite these things, we've, you know, pivoted and found New brands that maybe are a little bit more local. A lot of our merchandise comes from Europe, so we knew that was going to be a challenge. Um, and, you know, despite all these things, we have a stock store, uh, two stores, actually. <laughs> Can you talk a little um, bit about the about getting things from Europe? You know, a lot of the discussion here uh, on the West Coast, but also nationally, has been about the troubles, you know, down in L.A. Long Beach with the things coming from uh, from Asia over to the U.S. Did you find the same things were true on the East Coast ports that are accepting stuff from Europe? Yes. I mean, a lot of these things usually arrive in a couple of weeks, and it's taking more like a couple of months. Mm. Um, 
and you know the 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 companies they're coming from they know these things are happening so they telling us to order early so that if we want it by December you know again ordering over the summer and setting ship dates so you know I'd say about half these things have arrived <laughs> um, and then the other issue is that you know for re- small retailers like myself we're ordering so ahead of schedule that we're having to pay a lot out of pocket much earlier than we're selling these things so oh. you have a real discrepancy between you know cash flow and um, knowing that you'll sell them but not for a few months so even more important you know to support your small businesses I know we all say this all the time <laughs> it's still the case <laughs> how are you sort of managing the, the cash flow problems I actually have totally been curious about this because we you know you're carrying that inventory for much longer well, one way is, and not um, on purpose, but having less staff. Um, mm. I've been trying to hire for several months, and it's been really challenging. So mm. for me, keeping my payroll down has been somewhat helpful, although challenging in other ways, of course. Um, and I would just say really, you know, kind of I've reached out to some vendors saying, you know, can we push this to this date? And, you know, it's just it's a lot of back end work, basically. Yeah. Um, but now that the holidays are here and people are out shopping, which has been amazing um, and ordering online, because we also have a website, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's starting to help. But there's it's it's just uh, it's been a stressful, I'd say, I mean, obviously a couple of years now, but. Um, at least in the last like four months or so, yeah. just getting through this. Two, two more quick questions on the on the worker side. What have you tried to do to kind of incentivize people to stick with the job, like stay stay in it? Um, and uh, and and what have you done to try and like recruit new people? I mean, is it just a matter of kind of raising the hourly wage? Which I have done um, for full-time employees. I also offer health insurance, which um, I thought would be, you know, a lot more helpful than it has been. Um, but, yeah, raising the raising the hourly wage, and I just, you know, usually have found people from a sign on the door or on social media. Um, I've tried school, uh, like Handshake, you know, posting on different colleges. Um, and, of course, like Indeed, Craigslist, all these things. And I think it's just... Um, people aren't looking or maybe, you know, it's sort of a niche business. I mean, it's a toy store. So things in here aren't necessarily for the people working here, which might be a little challenging unless you have kids. (laughs) But, um, yeah, I I am hoping in the new year it'll be a little bit easier, but... Oh uh, well, thank we so appreciate you sharing your experience with us, Tara. This is this is really great. What part of town is your store in? Um, so I have my shop in Noe Valley, um, which has been here for seven years, and I just opened a new location on Sacramento Street across town in Presidio Heights. Oh, so man. I've got two locations. <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, glad to hear things are going well, and we really do super appreciate that you're. you're yeah, of course, I appreciate you having this conversation. It's important. Cool. All right, Ted. Thank you so much. We will talk to you later. Okay. Thanks. Right. I want to hear uh, just right back to back from Eric in Alameda, who is a game store owner, another uh, store owner. We want to hear uh, how things are going for you, Eric. Uh, Hi, yeah. Uh, So we're seeing, you know, larger sales than we saw in 2019. 2020 was just a disaster for us. But but, uh, numbers have increased quite a bit. We're seeing as much as... uh, our averages are as much as 120% of uh, 2019. Um, Now, expenses are through the roof, though. So, you know, it hasn't made uh, an appreciable difference on profitability, but we're seeing, you know, much better sales numbers. What are the expenses that are up for you? Uh, Well, healthcare always. Um, Just like the previous caller, uh, we provide health care for our full-time employees. you know, there's always, of course, the personal protective equipment, um, the, of course, the, the price of getting the products is mm-hmm. uh, increased quite a bit as well. Um, uh, all services, everything is just more expensive. Yeah. And do you, are you having trouble finding workers or is a game store the kind of place where there's a person who wants to work there and they really want to work there? Yeah, typically we've, we, we haven't had too much issue with that. Um, we, we do, of course, go through a, a decent uh, interview process, and we want to make sure that someone is, you know, the right fit for the store. But, um, uh, but no, we haven't had too much trouble. Now, we're in Berkeley, which has the, what, 
second highest um, uh, minimum wage in the Bay Area and maybe the third highest in the nation right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we paid above and beyond that. We paid um, uh, uh, 10% hazard pay uh, throughout, the, uh, throughout the pandemic to all of our uh, on-site staff. Um, and uh, we, we've kind of carried that through. Uh, but um, yeah, hiring hasn't really been an issue. Uh, product, of course, has been uh, kind of a thing. And uh, uh, we started stocking up back in April because we saw that uh, the supply chain issues were, on, were coming. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and this is stuff that we normally don't purchase until August or September. Um, so, so we are, we were full to the rafters already in the summer when a lot of toy and game manufacturers started warning their, uh, their customers, uh, to, to start stocking up. Um, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's been, it's been crazy, but we've got, I mean, we've, we've got lots of products. Well, that is excellent. Thank you, Eric. Um, we, in my family, appreciate your Pokemon cards <laughs> and and other games. Um, thank you so much. I wanted to uh, go um, back to you, Michelle Singletary, personal finance columnist at the at the Washington Post. You know, you've kind of been hearing uh, some of the local business owners. Is that kind of what you're also what you're hearing, sort of uh, more broadly about how people are sort of managing to adjust on the local level? Absolutely. I mean, I think the the one the business owners that are going to succeed have made changes. I mean, you heard him talk about paying, you know, in, instituting a hazard pay, which I think is phenomenal, and that probably has meant less revenue and and thus income for the business owner, and that says a lot about that person and how they're running their business, offering health care. Um, is huge and it is a huge cost, but it also means that you are able to bring in people and possibly keep them. Hopefully, you know, the less turnover you have, the better for your business. And so for some owners, it may mean taking a little less for themselves for the greater good of the business and their employees. And I just, you know, I commend those small business owners who are trying to take those steps to keep people, help them, their employees, families, because they're all connected. Thank you so much. Uh, Peggy from San Anselmo, welcome to the show. Hi. Um, My question, comment is, I'm wondering how much corporate protection of its um, profit margins is contributing to inflation. Uh, It seems a little disingenuous sometimes to make it seem as if higher wages are the problem with um, inflation, that more people can buy more things. Um, the stock market's at a record high. So how much is that protection of profit margins contributing to this? Yeah. And Stephen, just to piggyback on that comment, and then I'm going to, uh, throw it to you, Dr. Russ. Stephen writes, if prices are rising at the same time, employers are being forced to increase wages. Perhaps the cause of inflation is that rich owners and stockholders are unwilling to reduce their profit margins. Um, what do you think is uh, going on there, Dr. Russ? Well, Corporate profits are up more than 20% since the end of 2019, so right before the pandemic hit the U.S., and wages have not been quite keeping up with inflation. So you can do the math there. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, you were um, in, on the Council of Economic Advisors in the Obama administration. What's the policy answer to that? I mean, is, is there one? So the administration is really taking a... Uh, a careful and I think well-informed line on this. Uh, I know there's a push in some quarters to, you know, go um, crush the big corporations and all of this, but what the administration's doing is trying to think about how to encourage competition, how to encourage entry. Um, So that erodes the power of corporations to increase prices when demand is high at times like this. So so they're really taking a very carefully considered stance. Um, I mean, you have to be careful that you don't discourage investment. And I don't want to, you know, I don't want to just push that as a 
a knee-jerk talking point or anything. But you know, once investment starts collapsing, it's really hard to sustain an economic recovery. And that's part of what is buoying wage growth for those that lowest group of earners in the mm-hmm. economy. So it's this very careful balance. And I appreciate the way that they're um, really going, going at it by thinking about encouraging competition and also improving infrastructure. Because when infrastructure erodes, it's harder to transport goods. It's more expensive to transport goods. And that really affects small businesses and new entrants. Yeah. Uh, that that's it's just so interesting. It just feels to me like there's been this kind of sea change um, on the way that economists are thinking about inflation that is actually a huge deal. <laughs> like so in something that's you know, it feels like there's been one view on inflation for like forty years and now suddenly everything has kind of like shifted. Well, um, I don't know if it's shifted or if we're just getting a broader set of voices weighing in on the issue. So the Biden administration has brought in a, a much broader set of voices to weigh in on um, on economic policy than than we might have seen in in previous administrations. Um, so so I I think this is really filtering filtering through into their their policy strategy. Yeah. You know, uh, last listener comment here. Michelle writes, I have definitely seen prices go up in our big chain grocery stores, but for that reason, I'm grateful for discount outlet and dollar stores where prices have not gone up. I am surprised that these places are not packed. Plus, these places sell produce, organic food items, toys, and holiday decor. Michelle Singletary, I wanted to give you the last uh, word. Have you got any last little short tips for the audience on you know saving money in the holiday season? Well, I think the first thing is that you set a budget and and no one wants to hear that. It's so boring. But I'm telling you, (laughs) budgeting is the key to everything. And I like to say I have two loves in my life, my budget and my boo, (laughs) my husband of 30 years. I love them both. I'm not so sure which one more than the other. (laughs) But, you know, that's the key. So if you, um, wherever you are, until policy catches up to those who can't make it, so if you're not making enough or you're making too much, you still have to budget. So as you holiday shop, start with what you can afford first before you step foot in a store or click on any link for any item. What can I afford? And how do you determine that is go back to what I said earlier in the show. Are you saving for your retirement? Do you have an emergency fund? Do you have something what I call a life happens fund? So that if your car breaks down or your washing machine or your kid breaks something, you can replace that and fix it. You know, are you giving, right? This is the season and time that we think about giving to other folks, but how about nonprofits, you know, NPR, all of build that into your budget. <laughs> Thanks for the shout out, Michelle. <laughs> <laughs> but, but that's really, really key, right? Um, and so when you start with all of that, and then if you can be generous, go go and do and be generous. And if you can't, don't be embarrassed. Don't worry about that. Because what we learned from the pandemic, most of all, is that it was about people's presence, not the presence. Oh, thank you. We've been talking about holiday shopping with Michelle Singletary, personal finance column at The Washington Post, and Katie Russ, a professor at UC Davis. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for another hour ahead. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising-Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. 
All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.